I didn't introduce myself earlier, but I'm Mike Eller, the pastor of worship and spiritual formation here at the river. And Advent is really a favorite time to sing, sing carols uh, for me, just the rich words that are there, a chance to be able to reflect on Jesus' hope, peace, love, and joy. Uh, but I cherish the opportunities on occasion to be able to preach during Advent as well. So um, gratefully, I have that opportunity this morning. In the 8th century B.C., the prophet Isaiah predicted the arrival of a great king. And we often revisit this prophecy during Advent for what it has to say to us about hope. So I'd like to camp out there this morning. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. On this humbled ground, a tiny shoot, hopeful and promising, will sprout from Jesse's stump. A branch will emerge from his roots to bear fruit. And on this child from David's line, the spirit of the Eternal One will alight and rest. By the spirit of wisdom and discernment, he will shine like the dew. By the spirit of counsel and strength, he will judge fairly and act courageously. By the spirit of knowledge and reverence of the Eternal One, he will take pleasure in honoring the Eternal. He will determine fairness and equity. He will consider more than what meets the eye and weigh in more than what he's told. A day will come when the wolf will live peacefully beside the wobbly-kneed lamb and the the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the yearling, newborn and slow, will rest secure with the lion and a little child will tend them all. And then on that day, that root from Jesse's line will stand as a signal for the peoples of the world. May God's Spirit help us glean some understanding from the hearing of this ancient text. In our era of Ancestry.com and the 23andMe DNA test kit, we have seen a surge in people wanting to find out more about their family's history. Have you also been curious lately about where your people come from, how they arrived here in America, where they first laid down roots and they settled, what jobs they first, they took up to earn a living, and what challenges they might have faced in this whole new territory? The older I get, the more curious I become about my own familial story and how some of those streams of general, uh, generational influence have flowed down into my life to make me the person that I am. And I'm fortunate enough to have known my grandparents well enough and for long enough before they passed to ask many of my questions about our family's history. And we find out about these stories, these personality traits, traditions and practices of our ancestors, and we take them in as part of our own. We might even say that it makes us who we are. And maybe it's a work ethic of a great-grandfather that you see that was kind of kept alive through the generations, something you recognize even the way that you might go about your own work today. And you might be led to rediscover and incorporate those practices and traditions of your ancestors into your own family's practices and traditions. And sometimes we learn that there are branches in the family tree that you're more resistant to talk about or even claim 
even with any sense of real pride. And with these, we might do a complete 180 and really choose consciously to live in another direction so as not to carry on those footsteps or those legacies. We might speak of breaking family cycles. But we know we cannot change the past. We can only live into a new future. The great theologian uh, Søren Kierkegaard once wisely said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And that was really not unlike the message that Isaiah was speaking to the people during this time that was threatened by war, living with great fear and anxiety and despair. He said those words on this Humbled ground, a tiny shoot, hopeful and promising, will sprout from Jesse's tree. A branch will emerge from his roots to bear fruit. And with that, Isaiah was asking the people to look back, as far back as four prior generations to Jesse, the father of David. You see, their story had become humbled ground, as this text says. It got that way through a succession of self-serving and corrupt leaders who had veered from the God-honoring legacies of Jesse and David. David had his imperfections. We all know about those. It's clear in the text. But he was a king after God's own heart, the Scriptures say. But it was not so for his descendants. The family tree, which began strong with Jesse and then continued in strength, growing taller with David, would find that the branches of those succeeding generations would just wither and wither away. So all that was left was that cut-off, decaying stump, the stump of Jesse. I see that picture and I think about that reality and I just think, what could be more sad than just this hopeless little stump, seemingly lifeless there in the grass. But Isaiah's message was one of hope. He believed there was still life in that old stump. A promising and hopeful sprout will again rise from what is seemingly dead and hopeless. I've seen new shoots come from old stumps. Maybe you have as well. I have seen how one single determined soul can break generational bondage by rising against all odds such that a family name is healed and restored and reshaped for a whole new future. I've known of queer friends and even allies who come from a long line of homophobes and sexists and racists who stand bold in who they are and who they've come to be causing others in their family to consider a more expansive and loving view of identity. And it breaks a cycle of a family's destructive past. I've seen impossible situations become possible because someone refused to live from the lot that they were handed by prior generations and they tap into this well of divine inner strength to work and create a more hopeful future for themselves and their family. I've seen legacies of alcoholic or absent parents overturn and set forth on a new course because one person put their faith in something greater than themselves 
And they chose to live a life marked by liberation, not self-serving vices. I think about how many of our queer and trans friends who have been so wounded by the church dared to step back into spaces of community and in many cases have found full and affirming acceptance and embrace. Life can only be understood backwards, but indeed it must be lived forwards. Isaiah spoke into the impossible that a Messiah would come. And if I can demystify that title, Messiah, for just a moment, a Messiah is really any person who brings hope into a hopeless situation. We use the language that they are anointed by God because hope is the vehicle by which God moves us all forward. How could it be otherwise? And near the end of the book of Isaiah, the prophet makes this statement, how beautiful the feet of those on the mountain who declare the good news of peace and liberation. And in our Western Christianized ears, and in this context, we think of the Messiah. And certainly we set our anchor point on Jesus of Nazareth as, as the true source of our hope. But being true to the context of that title, any image bearer of the divine, so every living person, possesses the ability to bring hope and liberation, no matter how small that act may be. For Isaiah, his Messiah was King Hezekiah, who came from Jesse's lineage, and he enabled the Israelites to contend with the war-minded Assyrians. And if it wasn't for Hezekiah, the Israelites would have told a completely different story. And those beautiful books of the Bible that we call the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Songs, those were all written during the reign of Hezekiah. It was a reign of peace. And then more than 800 years later, the Apostle Paul comes around and writing at the end of his life to the church in Rome, he calls back to this prophecy. From Romans chapter 15, again Isaiah says, Then the root of Jesse will emerge. He rises to rule all the peoples of the world who come to him for guidance and direction. In him they place their hope. I pray that God, the source of all hope, will infuse your lives with an abundance of joy and peace in the midst of your faith so that your hope will overflow through the power of the Holy Spirit. For Paul, it was Jesus, the Christ, the one born in Bethlehem who was the greater and universal Messiah. Paul's prayer that he prayed there for the early church was that this shoot that came from the stump of Jesse would be their hope, their peace, their joy, and their love, not just for a small group of people, but for the whole world. Paul's understanding of Messiah was much more expansive than Isaiah's. Paul knew that an earthly political king could only go so far, and he, though he recognized Hezekiah's significance, he knew that a new Messiah was needed for a new day one that would liberate souls, and one that would provide hope just beyond political security. And then we fast forward 2,000 years from then, and the stories are really too many to name, but consider this one by Tony D. Vick. Tony has been in the U.S. prison since 1996, 
after serving about 34 years as a closeted gay man in the free world. But for these past 27 years, he's been in confinement behind razor barbed wire fence, serving two life sentences for murder. He has spent much of this time writing and documenting about what it is to live life on the inside. And he admits in these writings that it's, it's hard to come by hope most days. And he finds that God's, ra- God's rays of hope come to him in small and even mundane ways most of the time. And the holidays, as you can imagine, are depressing and lonely in prison. Yet instead of sinking into despair, Tony stays busy working toward prison reform and helping other inmates prepare for the, uh, their eventual releases. He does this through job training and education, rehabilitation programs and volunteering and mentoring. And Tony writes about the beautiful community they have created inside of those walls. He says, in this special unit, we dwell together without fear of gang violence or getting stabbed on the way to the shower. In this community, we are not relying solely on the state to provide us hope. We are encouraging each other, teaching each other, loving each other, and living with each other in harmony. This change we want begins with us. Small steps, small things to look forward to, small rays of hope. I find in this story of these inmates something that is in common with that of Isaiah's and the Apostle Paul's. They all needed a Messiah for their time and their place. In the midst of a world full of uncertainty and fear and even despair, a hopeful and promising shoot sprung up. They knew how life could only be understood backward, but indeed it must be lived forward. This season of Advent here at the river, we're wanting to take a look at the, at the difference Advent can make. And Advent, I find, is a way of changing direction and reorienting ourselves. And in that way, the season can be helpful for bringing about inner and lasting change for the coming year. But one thing I don't want us to miss is how it also calls us what we might be for each other. This is a call to be hope bearers. And in this way, maybe little messiahs, if you will. Small branches, tiny shoots, little incarnations as sites where Christ wishes to be born again. It's interesting in that text, the language there. A tiny shoot, hopeful and promising, will sprout from Jesse's stump. A branch will emerge from his roots to bear fruit. And I was thinking about that, this tiny singular branch doesn't sound much like the world-changing emergence of the great leaders like King Hezekiah and Jesus the Christ. I mean, even Charlie Brown's Christmas tree was more filled out than that. And I don't think any of us envision that Isaiah was prophesying about a tree that looks like this. That's not much of a tree, is it? I think it's a beautiful way that the text leaves room for us It images us for us to start an invitation into which we must join Christ in co-creating and growing the tree together, one hopeful branch at a time. I want to close with just a 
few practical suggestions to think on this week. And I think to start as we begin this season, one would be to strive to embrace complexity. Hopelessness and woundedness and anxiety and fear are all painful realities, especially during the holidays for many. And I also think it's hard to hear words like hope, peace, and joy, for, for some at least. They may come across as trite and maybe even unattainable in the end, but I believe that encountering the Christ of Christmas is a call to embrace complexity, the reality of our world and our situations, and the possibility, those being held in dynamic tension with each other. This arrival of Christ to the messiness of our world, I feel, is an invitation for us to also enter in and not to escape or not to brush it away with easy answers. Is there someone in your life for whom you think this season might be painful? Many times we don't realize that we're being used to bring hope and peace in someone else's situation until we are in the midst of it or we've had a chance to reflect back on it. So I think the practice then would be to be ready and to be open and willing to be used to do the Spirit's work. Another practical suggestion would be to take time to reorient yourself. In those moments when you can just be still long enough, consider the ways that this year might have been disorienting for you. Ask yourself, what is one part of your life where you would like to reorient yourself? Maybe it's an aspect of your time. Maybe there's an activity or practice that you want to renew or take up for the first time, or maybe it's something you need to do away with altogether. And you may find that going through that process helps us reclaim this sense of wholeness again. So take time to reorient yourself. Thirdly, take time to notice little rays of hope. Oftentimes, those small graces that could have a profound impact on us, they're too momentary and too ordinary to notice if we are too busy to spend any amount of time paying attention. I put this in practice this week as I was out running errands. Even just yesterday, I noticed these two young friends. Maybe they were together in some way, but they embraced multiple times in a sweet, caring way in the middle of this restaurant for an unusually long time. And I imagine that embrace being so healing for whatever the reason was that they needed it. At another time, I watched this group of friends out on a street corner. They might have been a large family. They seemed like they were visiting the city for the first time, the way they were kind of looking around, but they were smiling and laughing and just enjoying each other's presence as they tried to navigate where they're going to be off to next. An elderly woman sat across from us on the bus, and with a sweet smile on her face, she she offered the kids some candy. She wanted to share a little bit of her Skittles she had in her bag. And we didn't take her up on the offer, but <laughs> even the kids were first to say no. But in that moment, I felt this genuineness of spirit that sometimes I don't notice, or maybe I'm too cynical. 
But it just made me smile. You know, I just saw it in her eyes that she really wanted to be helpful for these two little kids. And my barber yesterday was thoroughly intrigued about my religious studies at Union. So we had a nice conversation about spirituality and we, we shared our views coming from different religious traditions. We just talked about life and spirituality in that moment. And some of these moments, and really all of them, don't really move the dial much. They're small graces. But it makes me wonder how hope can emerge when we take time to notice. So those are my suggestions, and there are many others, but strive to embrace complexity, especially in this season, and take time to reorient yourself, and take time to notice little rays of hope. I want to close by using that prayer that Paul prayed to the church in Rome, if you'll allow me, and we'll continue in worship. Let's pray together. God, the source of all hope, infuse the lives of those here with an abundance of joy and peace in the midst of their faith so that their hope will overflow through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.